What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Dead America, El Paso Part 6. Dead America, The Third Week, Book 3. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter 1. Day 0 plus 17. What do you think, Rogers? Leon asked, as the sun rose over the town of Fabens. Is this the biggest day this town has ever seen? Detective Rogers leaned back in his chair beside the satellite computer and linked his fingers together in front of him. Arguably. Arguably? Leon gaped at him, swiveling his own chair to face his friend. If this goes south, the entire town could be wiped from existence. What could possibly be big enough to overshadow that? He shook his head. The coffee maker in the corner hissed and bubbled happily, and Ethel pulled out fresh mugs. Well, back in 1972, Sam Peckinpah filmed a few scenes of the getaway here in town. Rogers replied, Steve McQueen and Allie McGraw showing up was a pretty big deal. He grinned. Leon put a hand to his forehead. How in the hell do you know that? I was a detective who drove a vintage Mustang, his friend replied, feigning snootiness as he looked down his nose. You honestly don't think I watched Bullet every weekend? Leon barked a laugh. Man, it's a shame I didn't know you before all this shit went down, he said, pretending to wipe away a tear. We could have had a hell of a lot of fun together. Well, we're here now, so let's make the most of it, Rogers replied, and reached out to clap his friend on the shoulder. Leon nodded, sobering up a little. Especially since shit's about to go down. You a gambling man? The detective asked, as Ethel brought over two empty mugs and set them on the desk. Leon raised an eyebrow. I've been known to partake in some poker nights now and then. Well, if we survive this, I'll get one started up. Rogers promised. His friend rubbed his chin. Who else do you think we can get? Ethel came back with the full pot and poured two steaming mugs for the boys. Maybe Ethel here, Rogers said, smiling at her in thanks as she handed him his hot brew. Leon chuckled as he accepted his own mug. I'd be willing to bet she'd take us for all we're worth. Listen to your friend there, detective. The old woman warned with a wink, unless you want to lose your shirt. Rogers grinned up at her. Taken a lot of shirts, have you? You should have seen my husband's closet, she replied, staring up at the ceiling in fond memory. When he passed, it took two truckloads just to get his wardrobe over to the thrift shop. Leon shook his head, chuckling. If there was anybody left alive to read it, I'd suggest writing your autobiography. Nah, I'm not the type to purposely make people jealous, Ethel said with another conspiratorial wink and headed back to her desk. The boys shared another laugh and sipped their morning beverages. She's definitely one of a kind, Leon said. Glad you found her, man. The detective nodded. 
Yeah, me too. He took another long sip and then sighed. So since you're a gambling man, what kind of odds are you putting on us pulling this off? You want numbers or other things that would be just as likely to happen? Leon asked. Rogers wrinkled his nose. Oh, other things should be fun. We could use a bit of that. Mind you, these are pre-apocalypse things, but should give you an idea, Leon warned. The detective nodded. Noted. Us pulling this off would fall somewhere between the New York Knicks having a three-peat and half a dozen porn stars knocking on my door holding booze and winning lottery tickets and wanting to party for a month, Leon declared. Roger's eyebrows hit his hairline. Just a little on the pessimistic side there, don't you think? His friend shook his head. Man, I've been on too many missions that have had far fewer variables required for success, and most of them went sideways in a hurry. So while I have no doubt we have the best, most capable people for this, one thing out of a thousand goes wrong, and it's all over. The detective took a moment to mull that over, and then set down his mug, clasping his hands again. So what do we do if this goes bad? I hear Fort Stockton is nice this time of year, Leon replied with a dark chuckle. Rogers ran his hands through his hair, blinking at him. Yeah, except for the zombie army that's there. Hell of a lot better than the cartel army we'd be facing here. At least the zombies aren't shooting at us, Leon said with a shrug. Rogers cocked his head. Point taken. They both shuddered, and then the air horn cut through the tense air, alerting them that a car was on approach. They both stood up abruptly. Showtime, Leon said. Rogers nodded. Hammond and his group in position? Yep, his friend replied as they headed for the door. If Hell gets frisky, he'll be put down quick. The detective took a deep breath. Let's hope Rodriguez can keep him in check. Leon bent down to retrieve a bottle of liquor from a box beside the door. No shit, especially since I'll be the first one he takes out. Good luck, man, Rogers said. His friend gave him a little salute before ducking out the door. He walked away from the building and into the parking lot as two SUVs pulled up. When they stopped, Angel Rivas hopped down from the back driver's side door, Rodriguez emerging from the passenger's side and walking briskly to stand next to him. So here we are again, and still only with one poultry bottle for my father. Angel sneered and spread his arms. I'm beginning to think you are holding out on me. Leon shook his head. You can think whatever the fuck you want, but we're delivering on your demands. Angel raised his chin smugly and took a step closer, his chest puffing up. And what if we increase our demands? What if I put my boot up your- Leon began, and the son of the cartel leader got his hackles up immediately. But before things could get sour, somebody cut into the conversation. Hey, Reed barked from the alleyway beside the command center, tossing a mostly empty bottle of whiskey aside with a dull clang. He swaggered closer to the meeting. Mind your own business, Angel snarled. The adults are talking. Reed pointed a finger at him, swaying on his feet. Go fuck yourself, you pansy-ass motherfucking daddy's boy. Angel reached for his gun, turning full face to the kid. You are drunk, young man, Rodriguez said quickly. Go home and sleep it off. 
Fuck you too, man, Reed drawled, giving him the finger. He extended his hand and motioned to the whole group. Fuck all of y'all, you motherfuckers and your demands. My friends are dead, and for what? So you can get drunk? Fuck you! Leon snapped his fingers to gather the attention of the bristling cartel members. Ignore him, he's drunk, he said. You'd better hope it's not off my father's stash, Angel growled, turning back to him. Hey, Reed slurred, but nobody responded. Hey, you assholes want to see something fun? Ah, I bet you do. Rodriguez turned to the young man, eyes firm. Go home now, or else there is going to be trouble. Well, old fuck, Reed held up a finger. Let me just show you this one thing and I'll leave. He stepped back into the alley and struggled to drag something heavy around. It took a moment for the cartel members to realize that it was a body. Ta-da! Reed exclaimed, and jogged around behind it to grab the mop of hair atop the heavily tattooed body. Sorry, I don't know his name, or else I'd give a proper introduction, but I'll just call him Fuckboy. Angel roared and drew his knife, recognizing one of his own. But Leon grabbed his arm. I may not be able to cut you, the younger Riva snarled. But you bet I can cut him. As he spoke, Rodriguez passed him to approach Reed himself. Oh, you want a closer look, huh? The younger man slurred, grinning with all of his teeth. Well, go ahead and- He grunted as Rodriguez grabbed him by the throat, shoving him up against the wall. Where did this man come from? The older man demanded loudly. Reed didn't even fight back, not grabbing at his arm, nothing. Oh, him? He asked casually, motioning to the dead body. He came strolling through from the east the other day. I found him down the interstate a bit when I was doing my rounds. Decided to teach him a lesson or two. You have made a very foolish error, Rodriguez said. Reed hawked up a big loogie and spat it directly into the older man's face. It dripped down Rodriguez's nose for a moment and he stared into the defiant eyes of one of the bravest kids he'd ever met. Then he drew his knife and plunged it into the kid's gut, driving it straight into the bite wound. Got him, Rodriguez, Angel cried with glee, bouncing on the balls of his feet. The older man leaned in as if to be whispering threats, instead saying lowly, deep, slow breaths, young man, the pain will subside. He gave the kid a moment to collect himself, and then grabbed him by the shirt collar. Here we go. What are you doing? Angel demanded. Just got him and be done with it. Rodriguez shook his head as he began to drag Reed to the SUV, leaving the knife in the wound. No, he replied. He killed one of our own, and he must pay. That's what the gutting is for, Angel argued, miming twisting a knife in his own gut. The older man glared at him. If that's what your father wants to do, so be it, he declared. But I'm not going to make that decision for him, and neither should you. The younger Rivas clenched his jaw, nearly pouting, and then took a deep breath. Very well, he finally conceded. Load him up. He turned and waved at Leon, still holding the bottle of tequila. 
Keep your offering. This is going to be a lot more fun. Do you want us to load him up? One of the guards asked, waving at the body. Angel grimaced, repulsed. Hell no, I'm not riding back with that, he replied, waving his hands in front of his face. Do you have any idea how difficult it is to get a dead man's stench out of leather? Leave it for them to clean up. The cartel guard nodded and got back in the vehicle, followed by the rest of the men. Leon watched in silence as they drove off with Reed, a hard knot in his stomach with the knowledge that he was never going to see the kid again. Chapter Two The air horn blared again, signaling that the coast was clear, and Leon's team came out of their positions, converging in the parking lot. Rogers headed out of the command center, crossing his arms. You think they bought it? Looks like, Leon replied with a jerky nod. Hammond checked his watch. 45 minutes until they're back at City Hall, he said, and maybe an hour or two after that before Reed sets off. He said he's gonna hold out as long as he can, so hopefully they take their time. If there's one thing I know about the cartel, Roger said with a grimace, it's that they love to make an example out of people. No quick kills for them. Clara winced, and Trenton swallowed hard, clenching his jaw. I'm sorry, you two, the detective said gently, shaking his head. I hope I didn't come off as flippant. I know the rest of us are desensitized to this type of carnage, but I was just stating facts. They nodded in unison, resolved but quiet as they headed off to gas up the vehicles. Let's run over the plan one more time, Hammond suggested. Leon cleared his throat. One hour from now, you detonate the car bomb at the I-10 checkpoint and start a firefight, he began. That'll clear the path from Mathis to get across his checkpoint into the city. You three will fight your way north and east and get the hell out of the city and back here once the coast is clear. You remember the car drop off, right? Mathis asked. The sergeant nodded. Corner of Bell and Benton, 10 blocks to the north and 15 blocks east. Keys will be in it, the sniper added. Leon reached out and clapped him on the shoulder. Mathis, you're up. I get in, move to the banker building across from City Hall, he confirmed. Take my shot, savor the kill for a second, then ditch the gear and get north of the city. He motioned with his hands vaguely as he spoke. Hide out at the airport hangars by the base until tomorrow when pickup arrives. And remember, I'm radio silent until I get to the pickup point. Can't risk one of you guys calling to chat and outing me. Leon nodded and then took a deep breath. Looks like you guys got it down. He checked his watch as two SUVs came roaring up the road skidding to a stop next to them. Clara and Trenton hopped out of the driver's seats and walked over. Here you go, she declared, gassed up and ready to roll. Trenton raised a hand. I got the dangerous one. Leon inclined his head to the soldiers, taking a look at his watch again. And you'd better get a move on in case they pick up speed. The military group loaded up their gear and began to get in. Roger stepped closer to Whitaker. You'll be safe now, he said quietly. Not getting sentimental on me, are you, detective? She smirked. He drew his bottom lip between his teeth and then let out a deep whoosh of breath. And what if I am? Whitaker turned and grabbed a fistful of his shirt, jerking him to her. 
Their lips crashed together, and she threaded her fingers through the hair at the nape of his neck. He barely had time to register what was happening and put his hands on her hips as his mind reeled with the sudden electrifying sensation of the woman's mouth on his. She playfully shoved him back. Then you'll be smart, because I eat that shit up. He stared at her, dazed, and Landry let out a high-pitched, woo, before he ducked into the truck to avoid Whitaker's glare. She winked at the shell-shocked man in front of her. I'll see you soon, detective. She hopped into the SUV, and Landry turned around in his seat with a shit-eating grin on his face. Whitaker and Rogers sitting in a tree, he sang. K-I-S-S-I. There was a sharp click of a cocking gun, and he swallowed the last of the verse. Okay, I'm done, he said, putting up his hands and sitting forward. Hammond cracked a smile from the driver's seat, shaking his head as they headed off to war. Chapter Three Mathis parked his SUV off to the side of the road, directly underneath the road sign for Bell and Benton. He jumped out and slung a duffel bag over his shoulder, his sniper rifle and ammo clanging inside. The neighborhood was filled with trees, providing some nice shade as he walked along the curb. He lost himself in the soft quaintness of the neighborhood, enjoying the quiet for a few moments, before something moved out of the corner of his eye. He pivoted towards a nearby house, focusing on a mostly rotted zombie crawling on the ground, missing its legs. He grimaced and shook his head, turning forward and continuing his walk. As he moved, he spotted several more between the next few houses, all dragging themselves by the arms due to their legs being gone. That's a fucked up security system there, he thought with a shudder. Good thing I noticed that before going for cover. He walked up the next driveway before heading for the back of the house. If a patrol came by, his cover would be blown so he crouched and went into covert mode. At the back of the house, he took a wide turn around the corner in case there was another legless zombie waiting for him. There wasn't, and he was able to see clearly to the next side street, with only a waist-high brick fence in one of the yards a few houses up. There was the noise of moans and shuffles from the fronts of the houses, but none of the zombies seemed overly excited or interested in the little bit of noise he was making. He hopped the fence, and as his boots hit the ground, a corpse in a polo shirt staggered out of the back patio door of the house. It had a gaping hole in its neck, but its legs were still mostly intact as it stumbled down the back stairs. Mathis paid it no mind, as it was moving fairly slow, but he strained his ears at the sound of a truck in the distance. Fuck, he muttered under his breath and ducked down behind the stone fence. He peeked up over it slightly, scanning the trees and gaps in the houses. A pickup truck flitted through them, making rounds, and he flattened his back against the barrier, keeping out of sight. The zombie continued its lumbering gait towards him, and he began to sweat. He couldn't shoot it without drawing attention, and because it was on its feet, he couldn't really take it out with a melee weapon either without being seen. He pulled his handgun and knife, readying himself, heart pounding in his ears as he heard the truck break to a stop. The sound of doors opening was followed by men speaking in Spanish, and panic gripped him as the zombie staggered closer. 
He didn't want to get bitten, but he also didn't want to get in a firefight either. When the zombie got into grabbing distance, Mathis lifted his foot and pushed just under its belt, holding it at bay while still concealing his limbs beneath the stone fence. More Spanish prattled in the distance, and then several shots rang out. Bullets ripped through the zombie's torso, splattering rancid blood all over the sniper. He winced and turned his head, keeping his mouth shut, but holding a close eye on the zombie in case it fell on him. There was more stern Spanish barking away, and then another bullet took the zombie's head clean off, sending it tumbling backward into the grass. Mathis stayed stock still, holding his breath as the guys talked back and forth, listening as hard as he could to make sure that it wasn't getting closer. Soon there was the sound of car doors slamming, and the truck popped into gear and sped off. He sighed with relief and pulled a rag from his pocket, wiping the blood off of his face as he gave the vehicle time to get out of sight. Finally, he peeked up to make sure he was clear again, and then continued across to the side street. As he moved down the next few blocks, all he saw were more of the legless zombies, and he wondered darkly if it was supposed to be traps, or if the cartel had simply enjoyed practicing torture techniques on innocent people. The thought made his chest clench a bit, imagining the bastard sawing off Reed's legs. He didn't know the kid that well, but even still, he didn't wish that on anyone. He couldn't help but feel a swell of pride for the young man, and even more steeled his resolve in what he had to do to Tiago Rivas. Mathis continued block by block, finally reaching his position before the checkpoint. He ducked down behind a massive plastic playset in someone's backyard, peeking inside to make sure there were no mini zombies hiding inside. Once safely ensconced in bright orange and blue, he pulled out his binoculars and scoped out the checkpoint. There were two cars blocking the road, with half a dozen men standing about. The truck that had been doing the rounds pulled up and stopped, a trio of men getting out to join the others. They greeted each other in Spanish, laughing and carrying on. Mathis took a deep breath. Okay, Hammond, it's on you now. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Chapter 4 Hammond drove the SUV to within view of the I-10 checkpoint, close enough to see where it was, but far enough away that it would be hard to tell that he was there. The road had been completely clear of vehicles in the two main lanes on both sides of the interstate. However, several had been pushed to the sides of the road. A concrete barrier separated the lanes. Whitaker, I believe this is your stop, Hammond said. She saluted him. See you boys on the other side. She extended her fist, receiving a bump from each of them, before hopping out of the vehicle and heading to the north side of the highway. She vanished from sight behind the cars on the side of the road, and then into the underbrush. Think she'll be all right? Landry asked, 
a rare moment of sincerity. The sergeant barked a laugh. Those fuckers aren't gonna know what hit him. You want me to get this thing hot? His partner asked. Hammond nodded. Let's do it. Landry hopped into the back and leaned over to the storage portion of the SUV. There was a block of C4 that had been affixed just over the gas tank. He connected the detonator and flicked it on before handing the firing device to his superior. There you go, Sarge, he said with a grin. One click and it'll blow this bitch and anybody within 20 yards sky high. Hammond nodded. Thank you, he said with a flourish, and took it before looking at his watch. You should probably get into position as well. We're on a timetable after all. They also exchanged a fist bump, and then Landry jumped out of the vehicle. He hopped the barrier for the south side of the highway and ducked down behind the cars, making his way towards the checkpoint. Hammond opened up the center console panel and pulled out some rope, running it through the bottom of the steering wheel and connecting it to the bottom of the seat. Once it was tight, keeping the wheel steady, he got out of the SUV. He opened the back door and reached into the floorboard, pulling out a 20-pound dumbbell. He took a deep, steadying breath. Here we go, he muttered, and then heaved the weight down onto the gas pedal, sending the vehicle screaming down the interstate. As soon as he was clear of it, Hammond hopped the barricade and started running as fast as he could towards the checkpoint. The guards began waving their arms wildly as they noticed the vehicle speeding towards them. One pulled out a megaphone, yelling through it to stop. When the oncoming SUV didn't stop, Somebody gave a signal, and all of the guards opened fire. A torrent of bullets ripped through the vehicle, shredding the interior and pinging against the engine. It didn't take long for smoke to billow out, and the SUV began to slow down. One of the shooters managed to hit the driver's side tire, and the vehicle lost control, slamming into the barrier. The screech of metal against concrete filled the air, and the SUV finally came to a smoky stop about 30 yards from the checkpoint. Hammond continued to sprint towards it, stopping about 50 yards back. He peeked over the top of the barrier, watching as half a dozen armed men approached the SUV cautiously. He peered past them, noting a few dozen more men standing back at the checkpoint as backup. Damn it, he muttered under his breath. Wish I could have taken more of you boys out, but... He raised the detonator, readying it. I'll take what I can get. Hammond hit the button on the detonator. His hair blew back from the force of the blast, which turned the multi-ton SUV into a cloud of dust. Afterwards, there was an eerie silence, the only sounds a smattering of gravel and metallic debris falling to the asphalt. As the dust began to clear... Ten armed men emerged up the interstate, inspecting their fallen comrades. The ground was littered with body parts, and they stared down at the unmoving limbs with hard glares. Hammond watched them fan out and inspect their wider surroundings, and he readied himself, aiming straight down the barricade. He didn't have to wait long, as two men hopped over the concrete to check the south side of the road. He didn't hesitate squeezing the trigger to release a three-shot burst that tore into one of the men. As his body crumpled to the ground, his partner leapt back, 
whipping around just in time to catch another trio of bullets in the center of his chest. The gunfire gave away the sergeant's position, and he ducked down behind the barrier as a volley of bullets flew in his direction from the remaining men. Chunks of concrete rained down around him, and he covered his head, cursing as some of the bigger hunks smacked into his knuckles. He readied himself to return fire, waiting for Landry to make his move. Within seconds, the private delivered, popping up from behind a trio of sedans on the side of the road. He laid down suppressing fire, spraying wildly in full automatic at chest height. It struck down three of the men, winging one on the arm. As the remaining men turned to fire back at him, Hammond popped up, catching two of them by surprise, hitting them in the side with three round bursts. Before the remaining three could respond, one of the wounded men screamed and shot at him, hitting the barrier. A concrete chunk blew off and smacked Hammond right in the face, knocking him right back onto his ass. He sat for a moment, stunned, and reached up to touch his white hot cheek. He pulled his hand back, seeing blood, and growled. Motherfucker, he grunted. You're gonna pay for that one. He pulled out a grenade, took out the pin with his teeth, and tossed it over the barrier towards the men strewn across the ground. The one standing screamed in panicked Spanish, and the sound of boots on asphalt echoed before the blast went off. That'll teach him, Hammond muttered. Before he could do a victory dance, however, bullets riddled the wall next to him, and he spotted several men on his side of the interstate, taking up positions behind vehicles on the side of the road. He returned fire, missing badly as he hauled himself up and scrambled across the road. He dove behind an overturned pickup truck and took a deep breath, gathering himself. He looked back to the north side, seeing Landry exchanging fire with cartel members on his side, a decent 30 yards away, but pinned down by the private's wild fire. Hammond pulled himself up and got into a crouch, peering around to rejoin the fight, but held position as a truck pulled up on the north side with a packed bed. He let out a deafening whistle, getting the attention of Landry, who looked over his shoulder to notice that reinforcements had arrived. Nine men leapt from the truck and rushed for the barricade, taking up a defensive position on the north side of the road. Hammond fired over the bumper of the truck, making sure that they stayed on their own side. Any time now, Whitaker, he grunted. As if on cue, she emerged from her hiding spot in the thick underbrush along the north side of the highway. As she hit solid ground, she was level with the shooters, who were all fixated on the boys. With a flick of her thumb, she switched her rifle to full auto and took aim. Within seconds, her entire 30-round mag was empty, embedded in the backs of nine cartel members who never saw her coming. Their blood-soaked bodies fell limp on the ground, twitching and convulsing as they bled out onto the road. Whitaker rushed forward, slinging her rifle over her back and grabbing one of the fallen AK-47s. She popped up over the barricade and opened fire towards the other cartel members that were fighting with Landry. Come the fuck on, she screamed. Let's move. She continued to fire, pumping round after round, keeping them pinned down. Hammond broke rank and rushed the barricade, 
gracefully flipping over it and landing in a crouch behind. Whitaker clicked empty and tossed the gun aside, grabbing another one from another corpse, taking position and continuing her volley of death. Bullets whizzed by her from the other direction. Checkpoint, she barked to Hammond, and he snatched up a rifle, firing towards the checkpoint. He couldn't see a specific target, but the fire suppressed whoever was shooting at them. Move, Landry, Whitaker yelled. I'm not gonna shoot you. He darted out from cover, ducking as a bullet flew past his head, close enough that he could feel the wind on his face as it went by. He attempted to do a flip over the barricade as the sergeant did, but he slipped and ended up landing hard on his ass on the other side. He quickly scrambled up, grimacing at the sting in his tailbone, grabbing one of the AK-47s as he got back to his feet. Hammond emptied the clip he was using and then tossed the gun aside, scrambling for another. He froze, eyes widening as four SUVs pulled up and stopped on the other side of the barricade. We gotta go now, he barked and began firing towards the checkpoint. The others continued their assault on the original group, giving them enough cover to get across the interstate and into the brush. They tore through the branches and dirt, cedars slapping them in the face as they moved. Hope that was enough to get Mathis across, Landry huffed. Whitaker shrugged as she ran. I took out 10 or so of them when they came in, she boasted. If that checkpoint had more men than that, we have bigger problems, Hammond said as they burst out of the bushes onto the first residential street. 10 blocks north, 15 east, he said. Let's do it. Chapter five. Mathis remained out of sight, waiting for the diversion. He checked his watch, keeping track of the presumed timeline. If they don't hurry, I'm gonna have to haul ass, he muttered. And as if on cue, a giant explosion rocked the distance. He snapped alert, staring over at the startled checkpoint guards. They chattered in Spanish, looking around for their weapons, but not moving from their post. Come on, assholes, he murmured as he studied them through the binoculars. Go help your friends. Gunfire crackled next, further putting the men on edge. They looked around, seemingly wondering if they should leave or not. As the shots continued, one of the men picked up a walkie-talkie. After some shrill Spanish, he waved for his men to follow, and all of them clambered up into the back of the pickup. Hell yeah, move it on out. Mathis pumped his fist. The man with the radio pointed at one of the guards and barked in Spanish, apparently ordering him to stay put. Mathis hung his head. Shit. The truck loaded up and sped off towards the south, leaving the lone guard to stand there nervously, gripping his weapon with white knuckles. As the fight sounded like it was intensifying, the man ducked behind one of the cars, kneeling and pressing himself against the makeshift barricade. Mathis checked out the houses on either side of the checkpoint, noting a lot of movement in the front yards. Several of the legless crawler zombies writhed around in the grass. They were close enough together that they formed a living floor of death, and he sighed. Well, that's a no-go, he muttered, thinking hard. Can't snipe him because the blood would put them on alert, can't go around without risking being bitten. 
Looks like it's the direct approach. He shook his head, not exactly thrilled with his decision, even though he knew it was the right one. He slung his bag over his shoulder and slid out from the playset, popping out onto the road. He began to whistle, hands by his side, strolling along like it was just another fall day in the desert. As he grew closer, the man popped up from the barricade, aiming his gun and yelling something in Spanish. Mathis stopped, feigning shock, and raised his hands in the air. Hey, now, whoa, calm down, partner, he said in calm tones. The man continued to spit frantic words, motioning at him wildly. Okay, it's okay, I'm not gonna move, Mathis said gently, offering a friendly smile. The guard came around the car cautiously, stepping up slowly. He reached out to pat him down and pushed the duffel bag from his shoulder. As soon as the bag hit the ground, Mathis grabbed the barrel of his opponent's rifle and pushed it down with lightning speed, chopping with his other hand right into the guard's throat. The man dropped his weapon and grabbed at his crushed windpipe, giving Mathis an opening to pull him into a headlock. Come on, the sniper grunted as he tightened his arm. Snap, snap. He continued to apply pressure until finally the man's neck gave a loud crunch and he fell limp. Mathis let out a sigh of relief and dropped the guy to the ground, scratching the back of his head. Now, what to do with your body? He looked around, pursing his lips at all of the legless zombies reaching for him from their front lawns. He glanced back at the place that he'd been hiding in, successfully keeping himself out of sight. Looks like you get a plastic mausoleum, he said, and reached down to pat the guy on the chest before heaving him over his shoulder. He groaned as he carried the corpse back to the brightly colored playset and shoved it inside, stuffing it into the fetal position in the bottom. He checked his watch. Fuck, time to get my cardio in for the day. He ran back and picked up his bag, slinging it over his shoulder as he sprinted towards his destination. Chapter six. The SUVs drove through town towards City Hall. There was plenty of activity in the streets, cartel members patrolling, men marching around, a few brave citizens scurrying about to try to get substandard goods from a dank supply setup. Angel sneered at a couple of middle-aged men walking on the sidewalk, carrying brown paper bags of supplies. He rolled down the window and fired a few shots at their feet, causing them to jump back and spill their bags everywhere. They immediately dove and scrambled for the meager cans rolling away from them. Fucking parasites, Angel spat as he settled back into his seat. Why my father keeps them alive, I'll never know. One of the cartel members stiffened next to Reed, and the kid wondered if he thought about speaking up, but thought better of it because he didn't open his mouth. The vehicles pulled up to City Hall, screeching to a halt just outside of the doors. When they stopped, Angel hopped out of the vehicle, turning to rip the back door open and going straight for the young wounded man. He grabbed him by the collar and dragged him down to the street, wiggling the knife a bit. Reed let out a grimace, nearly pitching forward onto his feet. You'd better be stronger than that boy, Angel said, a maniacal grin on his face. My father is going to do so much worse to you than that. Rodriguez approached quickly, 
head held high. That's enough, Angel, he said firmly. The younger Rivas let go of his prisoner, jutting out his chin in defiance. Why do you take this murderer aside? he demanded, pointing a gold-adorned finger at him. It's almost like you care for this boy. Rodriguez took a step forward, eyes blazing as he stared daggers down at the younger man. Instead of throwing around insinuations, you should be thanking me, he growled. I don't believe your father would be too happy with you for robbing him of his fun. Depending on how much of that last bottle he's had today, he just might substitute you for him, just because he can. Angel snarled, but his shoulders relaxed, his face almost forming a petulant pout when he realized the man was right. His father was a lot of things, but compassionate wasn't one of them, a trait that he himself knew intimately, because he'd inherited it. Very well, he said flippantly, as if there'd been no altercation at all. He motioned to the two guards waiting beside the vehicle. You two, get into the infirmary. Rodriguez waved the guards off, grabbing a groaning reed by the collar and pushing him towards the stairs leading to the front door. I'll take care of it, he declared. Angel wrinkled his nose. You two, he said, turning back to the guards. Alert my father that we've arrived. He may need some time to gather himself. They nodded, and Rodriguez clucked his tongue at them. If he doesn't come to the door, knock once and leave it at that, he added. Then report back to the infirmary. They glanced to Angel, who nodded in agreement, and then walked off at a brisk pace to carry out their orders. Glad to see you agree with me on your father, Rodriguez said, as he led Reed up the stairs. Angel trotted up after him to catch up. I wouldn't get used to it. Rodriguez cracked a small smile to himself, keeping his face turned away so the younger Rivas wouldn't see it. Reed struggled to get up the stairs, clutching his gut to try to slow the bleeding. He stumbled at the top, falling to one knee. Angel kicked him square in the ass with his shiny, expensive boot. On your feet, dog, he snapped. Your day is far from finished. Reed seethed, resisting the urge to pull the knife from his gut and attack the smug bastard with it. Even if he succeeded in killing the prick, it would probably result in a headshot, and he had to focus on the mission. Despite the searing pain and torment he was enduring, the mission was the most important thing. Besides, there's a good chance my zombie self might take this asshole out, he thought darkly. And that thought pushed him just enough to get back up to his feet. Rodriguez led him up another set of interior stairs to the second floor, then down a long marble hallway. There were several people working there, mostly cartel workers, but a few of the former staff from the building. To distract himself from the throbbing pain of his gut wound, he wondered what the hell could possibly be keeping all of these people busy. He assumed it probably had something to do with the trading they had going on with different communities, or the facade of trading, considering it was basically slavery upon threat of death. Rodriguez shoved him into an old break room that had been transformed into an infirmary. There were a bunch of hospital-style beds in there, three on each side of the room. Two patients were on the right side, one with his leg elevated and another with an IV bag. In another valiant attempt to distract himself, 
he wondered why they'd put an infirmary in City Hall. For the cartel captains, maybe? VIPs? He noted the tailored suit jacket, hanging next to the guy on IV, and assumed that this must be the cartel's highest echelon of society, and the kind of treatment they would receive. Good to know I'm getting the VIP treatment, he slurred, marveling at how thick his tongue felt in his mouth. Fuck, I'm a lot farther gone than I thought. Angel smacked him in the back of the head. You're not getting shit, he snapped. Our VIPs, however, are about to get a show, he sneered. Enough, Angel, Rodriguez cut in with a heavy sigh. Go check on our guest over there. He is a VIP after all. He deserves attention from someone important like you. The younger Rivas glared at him, clearly understanding that it was a backhanded compliment. He schooled his expression before strolling over to the IV man and greeting him warmly, shaking his hand and making small talk in Spanish. Rodriguez roughly shoved Reed into a bed, and the kid grunted loudly. His hand slipped on the blade, and blood splattered all over him and the wall behind him. Doctor, I need you here, Rodriguez said, trying to sound bored and nonchalant. A man in scrubs and a mask busied himself with checking the broken-legged man and held up a hand to motion that he'd be there in a minute. Rodriguez leaned down, pretending to growl something menacing. Hold on as long as you can, he whispered, and I'm sorry for what must be done. He straightened up, clasping his hands in front of him as he waited for the doctor. Reed nodded jerkily, and then turned his sweaty head towards an older man as he removed his surgical mask. He didn't look Spanish, and the kid wondered if he'd been an El Paso doctor before being enslaved by the cartel. What do we have here? The doctor asked, his gravelly voice friendly. Rodriguez crossed his arms. Knife wound to the gut. The doctor leaned over and then donned a fresh pair of latex gloves before inspecting the blade. He pressed around the outside of the wound a bit, prompting Reed to hiss, and then wiggled the blade a little to see how stuck it was. That's in there pretty good, he mused. But don't worry, son, you're gonna be okay. Rodriguez shook his head. No, he said firmly. Only thing I need you to do is remove this and stop the bleeding. Don't sew him up, don't treat the wound. Just pull it out and slap some gauze on there. The doctor stared at him, eyes wide with horror. No, he put his hands up, palms out. I won't do that, that's inhumane. That's what your orders are, Rodriguez replied, keeping a righteous expression, even though his insides twisted. I don't know what the cartel promised you to come here, but I will make damn sure it's taken away if you try and treat that wound. We have limited supplies and he's not long for this world once Tiago gets a hold of him. The doctor froze at the name and looked helplessly at the knife and then at Reed's pallid face. He clenched his jaw and stared back up at Rodriguez, jerkily nodding. Okay, he said, and then took a deep breath. The only thing I will do is give him a local antiseptic. Rodriguez opened his mouth to object, but the doctor put up a hand. Only enough to make sure he doesn't go into shock from the pain of removing the blade, he said loudly, leaving no room for argument. Assuming you think it's a good idea to make sure Tiago can get a hold of him. Rodriguez pursed his lips and then nodded. 
Get it done. The doctor scurried off to gather supplies, and a guard burst into the room, nearly knocking him over. Rodriguez, he huffed, out of breath. You're needed at the I-10 checkpoint. He's under attack. Angel immediately broke away from his conversation, striding over in quick steps. What's going on? There's been a major attack at the checkpoint, the guard babbled. Don't know how many are dead, but they had a car bomb. Rodriguez nodded. I will handle it. No, I think the men there can handle it, Angel shot back, narrowing his eyes at the older man. Just tell them to pull men from another checkpoint to wipe the attackers out. Sir, they already did, the guard explained, and they were wiped out. Rodriguez raised his chin. Assemble two hit teams and have them out front in three minutes, he demanded. Make sure they have a care package for me. The guard nodded and rushed back out of the room. Rodriguez stared down at Angel coolly, as if daring the younger man to argue with him. Angel begrudgingly nodded, that almost pout coming back. It sounds serious, he said quietly. You should go handle it. Besides, you never did have the stomach for this kind of work. He motioned to the kid on the bed that was trying not to writhe in agony. Go, he said, waving Rodriguez away. The older man immediately stalked away, not turning around to even give the kid a second look. Angel's lip curled, and he leaned down, getting close enough to Reed's sweaty face that he could smell it on him. You get comfy, boy, he said, low and menacing. Because after I get my father, we're going to have all kinds of fun with you. He laughed, holding his belly, and then strolled out of the infirmary, whistling as he went to fetch his father. Chapter 7 Cover fire, Landry yelled, ducking behind the corner of a house. He fired in three-shot bursts towards another house on the corner of the road. There were 15 or 20 armed cartel members taking cover across the street and firing in response. Some were around the houses, some behind trees, and a few behind an outbuilding. Landry narrowed his eyes as a small group of enemies ran down the street, looking like they were heading to the front of the house. Fuckers are trying to flank us, he cried. Whitaker whipped around. On it, she fired a single shot into the window of the house, shattering it. Sarge, she called, and he turned to give her a boost into the broken window. She tumbled inside and landed on a bed in the master bedroom, hopping up quickly to her feet and prepping her weapon as she headed for the door. She flung open the bedroom door and put down a zombie in the hallway with a quick shot to the head. As she got to the end of the hallway, she swept the main portion of the house quickly, finding the rest of it deserted. She rushed to the front window just as a trio of cartel members ran through the front yard in an attempt to ambush the soldier. She took aim and pulled the trigger just as one of them turned to notice her, the bridge of his nose exploding in a spray of blood. As soon as he dropped, automatic gunfire ripped through the window, forcing Whitaker to leap back into the kitchen and take cover behind the wall. She crawled along the floor as bullets ripped the drywall to shreds, raining bits of house down on top of her. As the gunshot subsided, there were two sets of footsteps that hopped down in through the window, sounding like each man was headed a different way to try to find her. She listened carefully, 
straining to hear their movements over the gunshots outside. She sat back and aimed at the wall, waiting. And then when the boot heels sounded like they were just before the door, she let out one three-shot burst at chest height. There was the satisfying sound of a body crumpling to the floor, and this spooked the other gunman, automatic gunfire tearing through the wall again. Whitaker fired, but her gun clicked empty, so she slithered along the tiles to the corner. As the cartel member peeked into the kitchen to inspect his damage, she lunged up from the ground, landing her shoulder directly into his midsection and driving him back. His head left a round dent in the drywall behind him, and his gun clattered to the ground. He reached for his knife wildly, but she chopped at his wrist, knocking it aside. He wailed down with his other arm, but she grabbed that wrist and used her open palm to smack his elbow, bone crunching as she broke his arm. He screamed in agony, and she shoved him down, locking her arms around the back of his head and smashing his nose down into her knee. More cracking bones, as blood poured from his busted face, and he gagged and sputtered on it as he fell to the floor. She lifted her boot and stomped down on his windpipe, crushing his throat. As his face turned purple, Whitaker grabbed her weapon, reloaded it, and headed back to the bedroom. She hopped out the window and found Landry and Hammond taking turns firing around the corner. How we looking, she asked. Landry shook his head. Out fucking numbered is how we're looking, he replied. So just another day then? She raised her gun. He rolled his eyes as he reloaded his weapon. Hammond ducked back behind the house as a torrent of bullets hit the bricks. Shards broke off and flew around, leaving a fine red dust in the air. God damn, that was a close one, the sergeant muttered, letting out a deep whoosh of breath. Landry took his spot and leaned around, taking out the head of one enemy trying to move up. Check the street, Hammond said, and Whitaker nodded, moving towards the front of the house again. She looked down towards the cartel side of things and popped off a few shots as a few of them tried to get across the street. They ducked back behind their house, not willing to disappear like their brethren had when they attempted to cross the lawn. Sarge, we gotta get across now she called. Hammond tapped Landry on the shoulder, and the two of them moved to the front of the house. Whitaker aimed intently around the corner, ready to wipe out anybody who dared poke their heads out. How close are we to the vehicle? Landry asked. Hammond looked up at the road sign nearby. Two blocks north, three east, he replied. Fuck, that's a long way to go with all these assholes in pursuit, Landry muttered. Whitaker fired a few more times. Talk at the next house, she barked. The two men snapped back into action and prepared to move. Hammond tapped her on the shoulder, giving the signal to lay down cover fire, and they tore across the street as she let it rip. They ran, making it across and moving up the street a few blocks. Secure the house, Hammond cried, and ducked behind a large tree in the yard, reloading his magazine. Landry didn't reply, simply rushed headlong towards the single-story house. He busted open the door and disappeared inside to sweep it. Hammond let out a sharp whistle to Whitaker, and she broke away from her position, all the while firing more three-shot bursts back at the cartel members. She glanced over her shoulder before she moved, 
and noted that the enemies behind the house had started coming around, firing towards her. She adjusted course, moving up the street and using cars for cover, tearing up and up towards the sergeant. A bullet caught the back of her arm as she ran, grazing the muscle, and she let out a frustrated grunt. It didn't hurt all that much, but her pride did. Fucking cartel, she thought, as the gunfire intensified. The original group they'd been fighting had reached the front yard. Hammond began firing from behind his tree to give Whitaker some cover, and he wasn't able to hit them, but at least it sent them ducking so that she could catch up. As she approached, they heard the squeal of tires and a truck came skidding around the corner at the end of the street. She pumped her legs as fast as she could, and Hammond flipped his gun from three burst to full auto. He nodded at her as she ran by, tearing into the house to join Landry. The truck tore towards them, headed straight for their house. Hammond popped out as it reached the driveway and unloaded a furious blast. A couple dozen rounds peppered the truck, blood coating the shattered windshield within seconds. The vehicle lost control and slammed into the side of the house, a bullet-riddled passenger flying through the glass and into the brick head first. The sergeant quickly rushed inside, and Landry slammed the door shut behind him before taking up position at the window. Everybody okay? Hammond asked, and then his brow furrowed at the blood dripping from Whitaker's elbow. Holy shit, are you good? She nodded firmly as she checked her gun. Just grazed me. Still counts as getting shot first, Landry quipped brightly. She wrinkled her nose. God damn it. He grinned and then began firing out the window, eyes maniacal. You got things, Landry? Hammond asked. The private nodded. Yes, yeah, Sarge, get us clear out back, he replied, and continued his defense. The two rushed to the back door, but the windows exploded with gunfire, and they both hit the deck. They crawled to the wall, peeking out the tiny openings on either side of the back door. What you got? Hammond asked. She glanced out to the west and sighed. Half dozen, maybe more, she reported. What you got? Two on my side, the sergeant replied. Fuck it, we can take them, Whitaker said firmly. Damn right we can, Hammond agreed. He turned and yelled over his shoulder. Landry, we're moving. Get down, Landry yelled, and thankfully the duo were already down as several streams of bullets ripped through the front of the house, sending drywall and glass and bits of wood flying everywhere. After about 20 seconds, everything fell silent, and they shook themselves free of the sea of debris. What in the holy fuck was that? Hammond demanded. Sarge, y'all better get in here, Landry called. The duo shared a worried glance before crawling to the front of the house. They took up positions around the front windows and peeked out at three SUVs surrounded by men in heavy riot gear. Well, that's going to be a challenge, Hammond muttered. Landry sighed. Again with the fuckers in riot gear, he whined. When the fuck do we get some of that shit? Well, maybe if you're a good boy, Santa will bring you some, Whitaker teased. He laughed and then shook his head. I'm fucked then. A megaphone squealed outside, and Rodriguez's voice boomed through it. Hello, you, there in the house, 
he called. You still alive in there? Yep, Hammond bellowed through the busted window. You assholes aren't getting rid of us that easily. Rodriguez let a chuckle trickle through the device. That is fantastic, he replied. I would hate to have to go back to my boss and tell him we accidentally killed the people who dared to attack one of his facilities. Facilities? The sergeant yelled. You had a few cars on blocks in the middle of the street. I thought you people considered that yard decorations, not facilities. Whitaker raised an eyebrow. Damn, Sarge, little racist, don't you think? She hissed. He shrugged and lowered his voice. Just putting on a show. Well, these are humble times, Rodriguez replied. So one has to use what one has available. All right, I'll buy that, Hammond yelled back. So if there's nothing else, we'll just be on our way. Rodriguez shook his head and clucked his tongue through the megaphone. Afraid I can't do that. So how many men do you want to lose today? The sergeant bellowed. I mean, I know it's double digits and all since we're well past that, but wanted to check so I make sure I can serve enough ammo. Don't want to disappoint you. Rodriguez laughed. I'm willing to part with a few more if it means bringing you back to my boss in one piece, he admitted. However, I do have things I need to do, so I'm afraid I'm going to have to speed this up. So either you come out of the house willingly or else. That sounds ominous, compadre, Hammond yelled. What do you say you give us a few minutes here to think it over? Rodriguez snapped his fingers to some of his men, and one of them went to the back of the SUV. Very well, he said through the device. You have ten minutes. Very generous of you, Hammond called back. But just so we're clear, what do you plan on doing in ten minutes? The gunman returned from the back of the SUV with an impressive-looking rocket launcher. Rodriguez took it and held it up, waving it back and forth. Well, ten minutes is the time I need to come up with an excuse to tell my boss as to why I had to send in the negotiator. He set up the launcher on the hood of the SUV, the metallic clang echoing across to the house. You have ten minutes, starting now. He hit his watch as his men kept their guns trained on the house. Hammond slumped against the wall, shaking his head. Open to suggestions. Break out the back and take our chances, Whitaker asked. He shook his head. They'll just follow us to the next house, and I doubt they'll give us a chance to regroup, he said. And I don't know about your ammo situation, but mine's not great. She checked her gun and shook her head. Landry, what you got, she asked. What if we could get out with them thinking we're still inside when Rodriguez blows the house up, he asked. Whitaker wrinkled her nose. That's a tight fucking window, she said. As soon as we start firing, they're going to open fire and he'll have to end us. Unless we had a diversion, Hammond cut in. Distract them for a moment to give us a chance to open fire on the back guy and get out before Rodriguez fires. Whitaker took a deep breath. Again, tight fucking window, she repeated. And how do you propose we divert attention from ourselves? We still have some grenades, right? Hammond asked. She nodded. Yeah, I got a couple. We can throw some out the side window. Might buy us a moment or two, the sergeant suggested. She shook her head. But whoever throws them probably isn't going to make it out in time, she protested. Guess that means you aren't volunteering for the gig, then.
Hammond raised an eyebrow. She smirked. I was always of the belief that leaders should lead by example. The sergeant chuckled and shook his head. He knew it was a bad idea. Or, Landry reached into his pocket and pulled out another detonator. He tossed it to Hammond, who caught it and looked at it with confusion. What in the world is this? He demanded. The private grinned and put a finger to his cheek. I may have also rigged the getaway vehicle with C4. They both stared at him, blinking. You holding out on me, private? Hammond asked. Landry shrugged sheepishly. Well, you know, when I was rigging up the first one, I started running through the mission in my head, he explained. I thought of worst case scenarios, and while this one didn't specifically come up, I thought of a few that might require some extra explosives. You could have told us, you know, Whitaker said, narrowing her eyes. He grinned. And ruined the surprise? He winked at her. Plus, I didn't want to hear it from you guys about how paranoid I was. Well, I can't speak for Whitaker, Hammond said, shaking his head as he held up the detonator. But I'm damn glad you're a paranoid motherfucker. They shared a laugh and then clustered together on the floor. All right, clock's ticking, the sergeant said. Let's plan our shots. Chapter Eight Mathis strolled through downtown, taking in the locale. There were cartel members marching about, chests puffed out and heads on swivels, the leaders of the pack. The civilians scurrying about looked terrified, afraid to make eye contact and just get where they were going. Mathis couldn't even get any of them to look at him, even though he was in civilian clothes. He figured the best way to blend in was to just keep his head down and stay demure hoping he looked just as emaciated as the other townsfolk. He reached an intersection and glanced up at the signs, noting one that boasted City Hall two blocks, with an arrow pointing west. He made the turn and kept walking. As he approached the next corner, there were a couple of cartel members carrying on in Spanish in front of a young woman. He couldn't understand what they were saying, but from the look of absolute terror on the woman's face, he imagined it was nothing savory. She couldn't have been older than 18 or 19, and her eyes were big as saucers as she stared helplessly up at the sneering men. Mathis's gaze darkened as one of them took a handful of her ass, and she pushed his hand away with a gasp. As she tried to dart away from him, the other cartel member grabbed her arm. The sniper took shallow breaths, trying to control himself. He had to think of the mission, he couldn't break cover. Please, just let me go home, please, the woman begged, twisting her arm in the man's grip. She reached up and pushed against his chest, and that seemed to be it for the cajoling. He backhanded her hard, sending her sprawling to the ground. She landed with a grunt and couldn't even collect herself before one of them scooped her up, throwing her lean body over his shoulder. Please don't, she shrieked squirming as best she could to get out of his iron grip. She spotted Mathis and reached for him. Help me, help me please. He looked straight down, hating himself, hating the cartel, hating everything as he tried to walk past. What the fuck are you looking at? The other guy snarled, the one that wasn't holding a helpless woman. Mathis stared at the ground, shaking his head. Nothing, 
he murmured quietly. Nothing. Nothing what? The cartel member demanded, straightening his shoulders. The sniper fought the urge to punch him in his smug face. Nothing, sir, he said, louder. That's right, the bastard cooed and patted Mathis on the shoulder. Now get out of here, you weak piece of shit. He gave him a little shove and then joined his friend, the two of them sauntering off. The girl's pleading turned to screaming sobs of fear. Mathis turned, walking towards his destination, but his feet felt like lead. He bit his bottom lip so hard he tasted blood and wrung his hands until he thought his knuckles would pop out of their sockets. He could still hear her, and over her, the cruel laughter of the two members about to defile her. She probably won't live through the day, he thought darkly, or at least won't want to after what they're going to do. He scrubbed his hands down his face. He didn't have a choice here. If he wasn't successful in his mission, there would be no end to this kind of terror, here or in Fabens. He stopped in the middle of the sidewalk and then crossed as he got closer to City Hall. Seeing his target brought him a little bit of relief, especially seeing that it was quiet with no signs of panic. Guess I made it before the fireworks started. He glanced around to make sure the coast was clear, and it was now that the rapist douchebags were gone from their corner post. He took the opportunity to duck into the alleyway behind the banker building, hoping to find the back door. He walked down the narrow alley towards his target, and a lone guard stepped outside. He immediately furrowed his brow and began barking in Spanish. Mathis put his hand to his ear, shaking his head as if he couldn't hear him. The man raised the volume of his voice, practically yelling at the sniper. I'm, I'm sorry, Mathis replied spreading his arms and shaking his head. I don't, please, I'm just looking for my friend. The guard continued yelling and approached swiftly, fists clenched. Mathis broke his bewildered stance and jabbed the guy in the throat. As his opponent gasped for air, the sniper drew his knife and went for the heart. The guard was able to get one of his hands up to catch his attack and caught his wrist. Mathis shoved with all his might, pushing the guy against the brick wall, struggling to push the blade forward. He reached up and punched him in the side of the head, wobbling the man just enough for him to give a great heave and plunge the blade deep. As life bled from the guard's eyes, Mathis held him steady and then drew the knife, sticking it into his eye socket for good measure before wiping and sheathing the blade. He hauled the body to the door and opened it, jerking the limp corpse inside behind him. Reminds me of why I love sniping and not covert ops, he thought bitterly. Dragging these bodies around is tiring. He shut the door behind him and then hauled the lifeless hunk of meat down the hallway to the first door he could find, a maintenance closet. He crammed the dead guard inside and then latched the door up. Hope nobody misses you, bud, he muttered as he took in his surroundings. Voices echoed down the hallway towards him, and he quickly dove for an office across the hall, ducking down beneath the window. He readied his knife as footfalls approached, hoping they wouldn't come in, but ready to strike if they did. The men headed right past his hiding spot, chattering in Spanish, not pausing for a second as they exited the building. He let out a breath of relief that the lack of a guard didn't even seem to phase them. 
Once the outer door slammed shut, Mathis waited a moment to make sure nobody had come back in and got up from his spot. He peeked around the doorframe up the hall, straining his eyes and ears, but noting nothing but a darkened corridor lit by a few cheap battery-powered lights. He moved as silently as he could up to the main lobby area, a giant marble monstrosity that would have been more at home in a garish New York City building than one in West Texas. He surveyed the room, noting a few guards at the front door, and another one with his feet propped up on the reception desk. The power was still out, so the elevators were a no-go. With the guards at the door facing outside, and the reception desk guy enthralled with what seemed to be a nudie magazine, Mathis knew it was his chance. He silently moved along the edge of the wall to the hallway beside the elevators. As he ducked around the corner, he picked up the pace at the sight of a sign reading stairs. As he moved, there was a flurry of movement from the lobby, and he booked it to the door. He threw it open and bustled inside, pulling the door shut behind him. He grimaced at the sound of the latch clicking, hoping desperately that the noise had been buried under the footsteps and talking in the hall. Mathis stood guard at the door for a tense few moments, holding his knife at the ready just in case. The footsteps grew louder. The chatter continued, fast Spanish that he couldn't understand, but the tone sounded agitated. The men paused outside of the stairwell door. Sweat dripped down the back of his neck. Taking two men on with a knife and keeping it quiet would be a chore, let alone stashing the bodies. He didn't want to have to deal with this. He was on a schedule. Finally, the guards turned and headed back for the lobby, their chatter growing faint in the distance, and Mathis let out a deep sigh of relief. He turned his attention to the stairs. Third floor should do it, he thought, and then moved quickly but silently up the flights. He paused on the third floor landing, readying his blade and taking a deep breath. He opened the door and crept onto the office floor. It was full of cubicles, with a line of full offices along either side. He looked around and got his bearings, and then headed for the corner office with floor-to-ceiling windows that looked directly down at City Hall. He glanced over his shoulder at the glass wall, giving a clear view to the cubicles, and pursed his lips. Well, that's not gonna work, he thought. If guards come to make rounds, I need cover. He looked around and honed in on some large whiteboards on rollers in a conference room next door. He quickly rolled them in and put them against the glass wall, lining the office with enough of an obstruction that he hoped somebody glancing around wouldn't notice. With cover secured, he cleared off the large wooden desk and shoved it into position, several feet away from the window. He sat for a moment, staring down at City Hall, finding the room that Rodriguez had explained to him. He took a deep breath, psyching himself up. Getting here was the easy part, he said to himself. Now the fun begins. Mathis set his duffel bag on the desk and unzipped it, pulling out the pieces of the giant sniper rifle that would end Tiago Rivas's life. Chapter 9 Whitaker and Landry stood by the back windows that flanked the door. They aimed their weapons to the east, towards the two gunmen in the neighboring yard. Just so we're clear, I'm taking the one on the left, Whitaker said quietly. Landry nodded, waving her off. 
Yeah, yeah, I got it. Which one is on your left? She prompted, raising an eyebrow. He rolled his eyes and raised his left hand. She smiled and nodded. Very good, she said, in a gentle voice reserved for small children. One time, he muttered. One time I fucked that up, and you're never gonna let me live it down. Her grin widened. Nope. Hammond checked his watch in the living room, noting that their ten minutes was almost at an end. It's almost go time in here, he hissed. Y'all ready for phase one? Light him up, Sarge, Whitaker replied. The sergeant turned to the window. Hey, he called. What do you say we chat about this for a minute or so? You have exactly one minute left before I blow that house up. Rodriguez yelled back, looking at his watch. So chat away. Hammond made sure his belongings were securely attached to him and held the detonator tightly in his hand. Never got your name there, bud. Because I never gave it, Rodriguez bellowed back, amusement in his tone. But you can call me Rodriguez. Rodriguez, huh? The sergeant called. Pretty generic name there. What happened? Your parents not have any creativity or something? His opponent barked a laugh. Coming from a country with names like John and Mike, I wouldn't be so quick to criticize others. Fair enough, Hammond replied, chuckling to himself. Say, I got a question for you. Rodriguez sighed into the megaphone. Go ahead. Where in the world did you guys get that riot gear from? The sergeant asked. That looks like some heavy-duty stuff. He readied his rifle, taking a deep breath. Rodriguez motioned for one of the guards to step up beside him and chattered away in Spanish for a moment. He straightened and raised the device to his lips again. He says it's none of your goddamn business where he got it from, he said brightly. Hammond clucked his tongue to alert the others and then ducked into the window, firing a quick single round into the man's protective gear knocking him back onto his ass. At the same exact moment, Whitaker and Landry squeezed their triggers and took out the two men hiding on the east side of the house. Rodriguez raised his hands and stepped forward to prevent his men from shooting. He barked out some commands in Spanish, holding up the rocket launcher as if to remind them that he was in charge. Once everyone relaxed, he raised the megaphone again, the fallen guard getting to his feet next to him with a grunt. That was not very smart, Rodriguez said. My bad there, bud, Hammond replied with a jovial tone. Just not a fan of rudeness when there's no need for it. Rodriguez checked his watch. Well, understandable, I'm afraid your time is up, he replied. Are you going to come out like a civilized adult, or do I get to have a little fun? I've been accused of being a lot of things, Rodriguez, Hammond replied, and ready the detonator but being civilized ain't one of them. He hit the button, and in the distance, the getaway vehicle exploded. The cartel gunmen surrounding Rodriguez startled, and then raised their weapons, opening fire on the house. As soon as the noise began, Landry and Whitaker burst out the back door and fired at the four gunmen to the west, striking two with their first bursts. They sprinted for the east as the guards returned fire, their sights set on the fleeing soldiers. Hammond took a knee by the back door and took them out with two rapid, well-placed shots and then bellowed, grenades. The three soldiers pulled out grenades and tossed them towards the corpses,
before running through the yard to the next street. As the explosives hit the ground, Rodriguez fired the rocket launcher. The house went up in a blaze of glory, the force of the blast knocking the trio staggering. Landry got a face full of grass, and Hammond grabbed his arm to help him quickly back to his feet. Their grenades detonated to the west. Come on, we gotta move, Hammond urged, and they tore after Whitaker, who was doing a quick sweep of the street. She waved at them. We're clear, move up, she called. The trio tore across the street, ducking behind houses and sweeping the following roads up several blocks to get away from the cartel confrontation. Whitaker covered the boys as they opened the back door of a vacant house and kept watch to make sure they weren't followed as her companion swept the inside. Clear on my side, Landry reported as he came back to the door. Hammond joined him shortly after. Same here, he said. Whitaker, how are we looking? Haven't seen anything for several blocks, she said, shaking her head. And still nothing. If they're searching for us, they're taking their sweet time with it. The sergeant took a deep breath. If Rodriguez is true to his word, there won't be patrols for us. Think we gave him enough cover that his men will buy it? Whitaker asked. Landry scratched the back of his head. Our grenades went off a little late on those corpses. Hopefully he can pass it off as a neighbor's grill tank exploding, Hammond suggested. Or something like that. Landry shrugged. Yeah, maybe. All we can do at this point is sit back and hope, Whitaker cut in, still staring intently out at the street. Unless you want to run back and ask him. Nah, hope is good, Landry replied, waving his arms in front of his face. Plus, I'm done running for a while. Hammond rolled his eyes and clapped his private on the shoulder. I'm gonna have to put you in boot camp along with Rogers when we get back. Well, you can try, Landry quipped. The sergeant raised his eyebrows playfully. Disobeying an order there, Private? Yep, that's a court-martial, Whitaker added. Landry cracked his knuckles. Bring it on, he declared. I'd kill for some civilian life right about now. Whitaker, you got things? Hammond asked. She nodded firmly. If anybody comes a-lookin', I'll let you know. Come on, the sergeant said, waving for Landry to follow. Let's try and figure out where the hell we are. Whitaker ducked inside and set up position at the back window, keeping her gun aimed and her senses alert. The boys went into the living room, drawing the curtains shut and peeking out the corners. See anything of value? Hammond asked. Landry shook his head. Couple of corpses on the road, but that's about it. Well, good to know we can do some target practice later if we get bored. The sergeant replied dryly. Any clue where we are? Landry asked. Hammond shrugged. Best guess is four, five blocks north of where we needed to be. Could be worse, the private replied. Yeah, Hammond agreed. We could have been in that house when Rodriguez blew it up. Landry chuckled, wiggling a finger against his ear. Pretty sure I left some of my hearing back there. Consider yourself lucky. Hammond replied playfully. You don't have to listen to you talk. The private rolled his eyes and shook his head, sitting back from the window. So what's the plan, Sarge? I think we need to catch five here, then start working our way north, Hammond said, and then pursed his lips for a moment. 
It's too risky to start driving on these streets, so we need to get clear of the residential area before we can even think about that. Landry paused, and then cocked his head in thought. If I remember that satellite image Leon had, we're probably looking at another 20 blocks or so. Gonna be slow going, too, Hammond mused, cutting through yards and- Contact, Whitaker barked, and the two men hit the deck. They grabbed their weapons, Landry positioning himself at the front window, and Hammond crouching down to rush to the back. He peered through the other side of the window she'd been stationed at. I don't see it, he murmured. Whitaker inclined her head. Look through the gap of the houses, three o'clock. He squinted, and then noticed a truck moving very slowly, passing by the gap for a brief moment. Shit, he spat. They're coming to the front. He raced back to the front of the house, pressing his back up against the wall on the opposite side of Landry's window. They sat, muscles tense, as the truck slowly rolled by the house. The passengers studied each building, scrutinizing anything that had been disturbed. The two soldiers barely even breathed as the vehicle passed, and after a moment, it moved up to the next street. The duo let out simultaneous sighs of relief. That was fortunate, Landry said. Hammond nodded. Especially because that didn't look like Rodriguez driving, he added. Guess he's really trying to cover his ass. Can't blame him the private agreed. But damn, man, can we get a break today? The sergeant shook his head. Looks like we should get comfortable, he suggested. Why don't you see what kind of provisions they have in the kitchen? On it, Sarge, Landry replied, and headed for the kitchen. Once alone, Hammond continued staring out the window. He took a long, slow breath and let it out through his teeth. He swallowed hard knowing they came far too close to not making it out of this one alive. Chapter 10 Reed lay on the infirmary bed, knife still in his gut. He stared around the room for lack of anything better to do. The two VIPs across the room were in their own little worlds, one with headphones and the other reading a book. He almost wanted to laugh at such normalcy and such a fucked up situation. At the entrance to the room were two guards, neither of which had their weapons drawn. They stared at him with smug expressions, and he fought the urge to flip them off. The doctor popped in from a small side room with two nurses in tow. They carried trays of surgical equipment, most of which looked totally inappropriate for removing a simple knife from his stomach. He clenched his jaw. If they're bringing this in, it must mean Tiago is on the way, he thought bitterly and closed his eyes for a moment. Fuck, I can't believe I'm going out like this. The nurses set the trays down, lips pressed into thin lines. They avoided his gaze and then stepped back towards the door as the doctor moved over to another station to prepare some gauze. Reed flicked his tongue inside his mouth freeing the plastic concoction tucked away in the corner behind his teeth. He hesitated, his heart pounding in his ears, playing with the pill for a moment as he psyched himself up. It was inevitable, he knew. Either way, he was going to die. At least this way, his death would mean something. He took a deep breath. It was time. Here we go. He bit into the plastic, and bitterness filled his mouth 
as the powder inside began to dissolve in what little saliva he'd managed to bring onto his tongue. He unintentionally smacked his lips a little, a reflex to the chalkiness of the powder. One of the nurses noticed, furrowing her brow at him. Fuck. He stared at her, eyes wide, trying to convey him pleading with her not to say anything. She either didn't catch on or didn't care, because she said, Doctor? In a minute, he murmured, still focused on his task. Doctor, I think something is wrong, she said, clasping her hands in front of her. He stopped with a sigh and turned to his patient. What's the problem? The drugs were already taking effect, making Reed's head light and his vision swim. Hey, Doc, answer something for me, he said through gritted teeth as the first wave of nerve pain coursed through his body. Why are you working for these assholes? Because they give me everything I want, the doctor replied with a shrug. Condo, women, whatever I want, all I have to do is treat a few VIPs. Reed grimaced, hoping that it looked like a reaction to the words instead of his skin prickling. And help them murder innocent people like me? The doctor raised an eyebrow, suddenly looking smug, showing his true colors. Your death is a price I'm willing to pay for my lifestyle. Reed smiled then, as the first of the tremors began in his calves. Thanks, Doc, I feel a lot better now. He closed his eyes, content with the knowledge that his actions weren't going to hurt anyone innocent in the room. There were no innocents in the cartel. His body went into convulsions, and his vision exploded into fireworks behind his eyelids. Guard! The nurse shrieked, and one of the men from the door rushed over. What's happening? He demanded. The doctor stepped back, eyes wide. I don't know, he started seizing. Well, do something, the guard snapped. If he dies before the boss gets here, it's not going to be good for you. The doctor clenched and unclenched his jaw, and then motioned for the nurses. Okay, grab his arms and hold him down, he instructed. I have to get his airway open. They moved forward, struggling to keep him down, his legs and arms flailing as the drugs destroyed him from the inside. As the doctor prepared himself, the flailing quieted down to little twitches. The guard clucked his tongue, giving the doctor a murderous glare, and he shrank away from it. Okay, okay, he babbled. Nurse, get me the breathing tube for the ventilator, he instructed. The closest nurse ran to the next station and grabbed a long plastic tube, bringing it over to him. He pried Reed's mouth open and held his bottom jaw as he reached for the tube. Okay, I need you to- His sentence ended in a howl of pain as a zombified Reed snarled and chomped down on his fingers. The doctor jerked on his hand, but the grip was tight, and most of his digits came off in the fresh corpse's mouth. He staggered backwards, staring in shock at his mangled hand, eyes wide as saucers as he backed into the wall, sliding down to the floor. The nurses screamed and ran for the door, and the guard lunged for the bed to try to subdue Reed. The zombie immediately turned and grabbed for him, dead fingers scrabbling for a meal, and pulled him in close, sinking its teeth into the soft flesh of the guard's throat. As the jugular came free, arterial blood sprayed across the wall, 
the nurses barreled into the remaining guard, whose shot went wild with the commotion. This gave Zombie Reed the space to leap for the VIPs, coming down on the unsuspecting man with the headphones, teeth gnashing against his face. The man with the broken leg shrieked in Spanish, struggling to get out of his bed with his cast weighing him down. He struggled with the harness suspending his leg, trying to lean over to reach for the handgun on the table next to him, fingertips just brushing the barrel as Reed made quick work of his face. Meanwhile, down the hall, Angel and Tiago exited the stairwell onto the second floor. You're going to love it, the younger man babbled. I've had the nurses prepare something special for you. His father simply grunted, unhappy about being pulled away from his usual day of drinking. He muttered to himself as they headed down the hallway, and then rapid footsteps approached. Two nurses rushed by them, barreling past Tiago with zero recognition that they just bumped into the cartel boss. Tiago raised an eyebrow. Those nurses? Angel narrowed his eyes and barked a stream of Spanish obscenities as the women disappeared down the stairs, not even pausing long enough to be chastised. Tiago sighed heavily, weighing his options of just turning around to go back upstairs and pull out a bottle. However, when a guard at the end of the hallway backed up and began firing into the infirmary, both Rivas's snapped to attention. The guard turned and ran towards them, but Tiago lashed out and pushed back on his chest to halt him before he could get by. Why are you abandoning your post? The cartel boss demanded, chin high. The guard's mouth opened and closed, his face pale. There's, there's... Tiago smacked him across the face hard to snap him back into coherency. What is it, man? The guard didn't have a chance to answer as the zombified reed tore out of the infirmary. It skidded to a stop, lifting its head as if to sniff the air for fresh meat. It turned its blood-covered face towards the Rivases, and its roomy eyes locked onto father and son. It let out a mighty shriek before sprinting towards them. The guard froze in fear, and Tiago grabbed his gun, shoved him aside, and took aim. He stared down the zombie, running towards him with its mouth open, and fired. The bullet caught the fresh corpse in the face, and the momentum from its running caused it to pitch onto the floor and slide across the tiles. The unmoving body came to a stop just a few feet short of them, face down. Tiago shoved the gun back into the guard's hand, and gave his shoulder a push towards the dead zombie. Go do your job or you'll wish this was your fate. The terrified guard took a deep breath and walked back to the infirmary, pressing his back against the wall next to the door. He jumped into the doorway and paused, assessing the room before opening fire, a scream tearing its way out of his mouth. The panicked fire did no good as two zombies lunged for him. One wore a white lab coat, quickly becoming red, and the other had an IV pole clattering behind it. They easily tackled him to the ground, feasting on his shrieking flesh as a third zombie crawled out to join them, dragging its leg behind it in a plaster cast. Tiago reached for Angel's holster, but his son shook his head and took his arm. We have to get you to the safe room, he cried. His father shook him off. I can handle this. As they struggled, 
the zombie with the cast managed to get up on its good foot and stagger towards them, dragging the busted leg behind it. Let the men handle it, Angel argued. They're expendable. Tiago growled but relented, following his son into the stairwell and back up to the third floor. As they moved, Angel pulled out a radio and yelled into it. Runners at the infirmary, he barked. Runners at the infirmary, guards to the safe room now. At the third floor landing, three armed guards burst into the stairwell, and Angel grabbed the closest one by the collar. You hold this door no matter what, he snarled. If one of those things gets up here, you're going to have to deal with me. The guard nodded furiously before taking up position on the landing. Gun aimed down the stairs for any potential threat. The other two flanked Tiago as they headed onto the third floor towards the safe room. The quartet entered the room, a large corner office with massive floor-to-ceiling windows. Tiago immediately went for the gun on his desk, picking it up. This is nonsense, Angel, he said, and in the bright light of the sun, it was clear his eyes were red from inebriation. I could handle a hundred of those things all on my own. He waved the gun around like a flag. Father, we have people, Angel began. I don't care about those people, Tiago snapped. I was a warrior when I was your age, never ran away from a fight, which is why I'm the man I am today, he sneered gaze darkening as he looked at his son with disdain. But you, you'd rather have someone else do the dirty work for you. His son squared his shoulders. Lies, he spat. I've carved up more men than even you. Tiago backhanded the younger Rivas and then bared his teeth. Carving up overweight Federales is not what a warrior does, he snarled. A warrior fights against real enemies, like the ones downstairs. Angel avoided his father's gaze and stormed away from him, standing over by the window. He stared down at the street below, several cartel members rushing around towards City Hall, weapons in hand. Warriors fighting against real enemies. Chapter 11 Mathis lay across the large wooden desk, his 50 cal sniper rifle pointed through a perfectly cut hole in the glass. He was far enough back from the window so that nobody from the street would be able to see him, even if they were looking. Gunfire suddenly erupted across the street, and he peeked up to see a crowd running towards the building. He peered through his scope and honed in on the window that Rodriguez had instructed him to use. Angel Rivas stood there, staring down at his lemmings with a stern expression. You're lucky I only have one shot, asshole, Mathis muttered to himself. I'm sure Leon would be quite happy if I vaporized your head, but bigger fish to fry. He held firm, aiming through the window to try to look past Angel. There was movement behind him, but he couldn't make certain that it was Tiago. Come on, move, motherfucker, he hissed. Angel looked to be arguing with someone behind him, and then turned and stepped away from the window. Mathis readjusted his sights, finally glimpsing Tiago further back in the room. As he sized up his target, the gunfire began to die down from the other building. This may be the best shot I'm going to get, he thought. Fuck it. He took a deep breath and held it in to steady himself, 
aiming for Tiago's head. He counted down silently and then gently squeezed the trigger. The thunderous boom of the rifle shattered the window of the office, momentarily obscuring his view. He frantically tried to get his bearings and then found he'd punched a hole through the room's safety glass. He stared for a moment and then spotted a body on the ground. Shit, did I get him? He murmured to himself. Fucking cheap-ass glass shattering. He continued to look and then saw movement rushing in front of the window to close the curtains inside. Instinctively, he fired, hoping that it was Angel, but he didn't get a good look. A splatter of blood smacked into the glass, and then a moment later, the curtains closed. Mathis laid there for a moment, stunned, and wondering if he'd actually completed the mission or not. Before he could waffle too much, however, the stairwell doors behind him opened. Fuck, gotta move. He jumped down from the desk, leaving the weapon behind. He reached the door of the office he was in, peeking around one of the whiteboards to see four armed guards spreading out from the door all across the cubicle farm. He pulled his knife and slipped out of the office while crouching down below the cubicle walls. He darted across the aisle to a desk just across from him, taking cover in the corner, hiding in the shadows. Flashlight beams illuminated the area above him, coming from all directions. The men didn't speak, simply moved in unison as they converged on the office. As they grew closer, they whispered in Spanish, likely coordinating their movement. Mathis readied himself at the edge of the cubicle, carefully peeking around the corner to see them ready to move. Their leader nodded as he kicked open the office door, and the other three quickly moved in to surprise what they thought was the sniper. With this brief window of opportunity, Mathis broke cover and moved quickly and quietly down the row of cubicles, turning down the first empty aisle he found. He took a knee as the stairwell door opened again, and several sets of footsteps came onto the office floor. Somebody barked in Spanish, and the sniper assumed it was a higher up, asking for an update. The men in the office yelled back, and there was a bunch more barking of orders as Mathis turned to move quickly down the aisle, as far away from the stairwell as possible. He made it to the far end, hiding in the last cubicle in the corner. He scanned for another potential exit, but the only one he could see was the way he came in, which was currently surrounded. He ducked back under the desk as footsteps and flashlights grew closer to him. From the trajectory of the lights, it seemed as though they were checking every single cubicle. He watched as the lights on the ceiling danced, getting closer and closer to him. He readied his blade as the gunman neared his hiding spot. As soon as his opponent made the turn to inspect it, Mathis launched up from his position and jammed his blade up into the gunman's chin, hilt deep. He quickly pulled the limp body down into the cubicle, and then his heart leapt into his throat as somebody nearby called out in Spanish in a worried tone. He cursed under his breath and then grabbed the gun and flashlight, standing up and waving the light on the ceiling. He hoped that in the dim light the silhouette would do the trick, and then somebody by the stairwell said something, and men around him laughed. Mathis let out a loud chuckle, hoping that they'd buy it, and it seemed they did. He continued to make rounds like his predecessor would, 
making his way towards the stairwell. As he got closer, checking each cubicle, he noticed that several guards had gone back towards the main group. Fuck, that's not good, he thought. He slowed down, hoping that they'd just head into the stairwell without him. But all that did was give them more time for the other gunmen to rejoin the main group. He continued to move like a snail, but eventually the leader of the group began barking at him, likely to hurry up. Mathis didn't understand, but kept his head down, pretending to do his job. The man grew more heated, and then his voice turned suspicious. The sniper glanced out of the corner of his eye, and gunmen turned to point their flashlights at him. As soon as the light hit his face, he opened fire. Bullets ripped through the group, sending gunmen diving for cover in all directions. Mathis dove to the floor as they returned fire, cubicles tearing to shreds all around him. Computers and paperwork flew, shards of plastic and glass raining around him as he combat crawled along the floor to try to put some distance between him and them. Boots thumped on the floor, and Mathis's heart rate tripled. He was about to be surrounded. He popped up and opened fire again, sending bullets toward the stairwell in a last-ditch effort to clear the way. All he managed to hit was air and drywall, and then the gun clicked empty. He tossed it aside and pulled his handgun, returning fire from someone at his six who'd popped up. He ducked back down behind a cubicle as he reached another aisle. The leader began prattling off orders in Spanish again, and the gunfire stopped. The lack of an attack concerned the sniper. Shit, he thought. They're going to try to take me alive. He swallowed hard and checked his ammo, noting he had only half a mag. He slapped it back into the gun and cocked it just as one of the guards came around the corner. He raised his arm to fire, but the guard smacked his arm away, and he lost control of the weapon, the gun clattering to the ground. Mathis went into overdrive, punching at him, hitting him in the face a few times. The man returned blows, but the sniper was able to grab his wrist and pull him off balance, giving him a hard knee strike to the midsection. As his opponent groaned and fell to the floor, two others rushed up the aisle towards him. Mathis lunged for his gun, but one of the men intercepted him, delivering a shoulder strike like a cornerback delivering a hit on a receiver. The sniper tumbled to the ground and struggled to get back up, but both attackers jumped on him. They kicked at him, keeping him on his back. He attempted to defend himself, but was wholly unsuccessful, especially once others came to join in the assault. He finally resigned himself to covering his face as they viciously beat him and then finally the leader let out a sharp whistle. The men stopped, backing up, and the leader stepped forward, snapping his fingers. Two of the guards picked up a limp and bleeding Mathis, and the leader grabbed him by the chin, holding up his lolling head to smirk directly in his face. He prattled off something in Spanish, and then dropped his head. The sniper couldn't even keep his gaze up, as the men dragged him out of the room, and towards an uncertain fate. Chapter 12 Whitaker kept watch at the back door, and Landry stayed at the front, 
Hammond emerged from one of the bedrooms and approached the former. Anything? he asked. She shook her head. Haven't seen anything in over an hour, she replied. Me either, Sarge, Landry called back. Maybe they gave up? The sergeant sighed. We can only hope. So what do you want to do? Landry asked. Let's pack it up and start heading north, Hammond suggested. We'll get to the edge of the residential area and see what kind of ride we can grab. The two soldiers nodded in approval before peeling themselves up off of the floor. They both stretched, warming up their stiff joints from having been on the floor for so long. Finally, the duo joined Hammond at the door as they checked their weapons. Okay, the sergeant said. We may think they're gone, but we still gotta move quick across the streets. As much as I love looking like a badass movie hero and walking away as a building explodes, I'm pretty sure I've had my fill of that today. This week, Landry added. Whitaker raised a hand. Fuck it, I'm good for the year. Then haul ass, Hammond replied. Let's go. He threw open the door, and the trio rushed across the street, barely taking glances down either side of the road, as it would cost precious seconds. They took shelter in a yard between two homes, and then glanced back towards the road. Clear, Whitaker said quietly. Landry nodded. Same. Get to the next street, Hammond instructed. They broke formation and ran through the backyard, and up to a fence separating the next row of houses. They hopped over with ease and got to the edge of the next house. They stopped and took cover, looking out over the road with the privates each covering a direction, Hammond covering the rear. Clear, Landry whispered. Whitaker didn't answer, and he turned towards her, brow furrowed. Hey, are you cl She immediately put her hand over his mouth, and then Landry's eyes widened. He reached back to tap Hammond on the shoulder. The sergeant turned and kept his mouth shut when he saw Whitaker holding Landry's mouth and then leaned out into the road. There were a hundred zombies scattered about, roaming in yards and on the street. Hammond motioned for them to backtrack immediately, and they hopped back over the fence to the previous yard. Well, it's pretty obvious they didn't check up here, he said quietly. Whitaker shrugged. Or if they did, they said fuck it and hightailed it out of here. So what do you think, Sarge? Landry asked. You want to keep pushing to the north or get a vehicle? Whitaker shook her head. I don't know about the Sarge, but I left my baseball bat back in town, she said. And I'm damn sure we don't want to be firing off shots since those fuckers might still be after us. Well, that's one vote for a car, Landry replied pointing at her, and then pointed at himself. Two, if my vote counts for anything. Hammond cocked his head. It doesn't, but I'm in agreement. We need to get out of here now. Pretty sure I saw a truck a few houses up behind us. Whitaker motioned over her shoulder. Old workhorse of a thing, so unlikely to have an alarm system. The sergeant nodded. And a hell of a lot easier to hotwire, he said. Let's get it. The trio retreated a block, running between houses diligently and pausing at each edge. Whitaker finally pointed out the truck, a powder blue beast missing the front bumper that looked like it should have been put out to pasture a decade ago. Hammond nodded, and the trio ran down the street towards it. As they moved, 
several dozen zombies emerged from around the corner, and they picked up the pace. The sergeant reached the door first, and it was miraculously unlocked. He hopped beneath the dash immediately and ripped the wires out beneath, getting to work. Whitaker looked in the bed and picked up a lone crowbar from the bottom. She turned her back to the vehicle and stood guard on the other side as the zombies approached, only ten yards away. Landry joined her. Any ideas? he asked. Bash and push back, she replied. Anything we can do to buy time. He cracked his neck, readying himself for a fresh tussle. Let's do it. Both soldiers stepped forward, meeting the front line five yards away from the truck. Whitaker cracked a creature over the head with the crowbar, dropping it, and then used the rounded end to shove another back into the group. Landry grabbed a teenage zombie by the shirt, spinning it around and then tossing it like a sack of potatoes. It knocked back several corpses, staggering the front line decently. The soldiers scrambled as best they could, but the horde grew denser by the second. Get in the truck bed, Whitaker yelled. Both of them clambered up into the truck bed, and Whitaker stabbed down repeatedly with the pointy end of the crowbar as Landry slid back towards Hammond. Sarge, get in the cab now, he barked. We can't hold him off. The sergeant muttered to himself, jumping up into the seat, slamming the door behind him. He threw his legs over to the passenger's side and crawled beneath the dash again. Zombies smacked up against the side of the truck, echoing booms throughout the cab, and he smacked two wires together, generating a spark. Come on, come on, he grunted, and finally the truck sprang to life. He slithered back up into the driver's seat and reached back to open up the window behind his head. We're on the move, he cried, and threw the vehicle into reverse. The truck was old, but it still had a lot of life left as it plowed through the corpses behind it. Landry and Whitaker held on, grabbing the railings on the side, watching the ghouls bounce off of it, left, right, and center. Once the truck was straight on the road, Hammond punched the gas, speeding away from the horde. He finally turned north and raced along, the two soldiers in the back, keeping sharp eyes out for any potential cartel patrols. After a few minutes of driving, they reached the end of the residential area. Hammond stopped at the last road before the desert. Everybody good back there? He called. Lovely, Whitaker replied dryly. Good, he said. Gonna have to hang on tight. We're gonna head out into the desert. If memory serves, it should only be a few miles to that back road that'll take us out to Fabens. Landry threw a fist into the air. Bring it, he cried. Let's just get back. Whitaker nodded and adjusted her grip. Hammond faced front, hit the gas, and blew out into the sand. Chapter 13 Does anybody need anything? Ethel stood up from her desk, offering a smile to the somber quartet sitting in the office, nervously watching the time tick by. I was gonna head on home and start making dinner. You go on ahead, Ethel, Rogers replied. Don't know how long we're gonna be sitting here. She reached out and patted Trenton on the shoulder on her way to the door. Well, if you get hungry, you know where to find me. Thank you, Clara said quietly but sincerely, staring up at the wonderful old woman with adoration in her eyes. 
As soon as the door shut behind her, the young woman sank back down into her chair. The waiting is unbearable, she said. Leon sighed. You get used to it. Only if we live long enough, Clara shot back. Girl's got a point, Rogers added dryly. The air horn bleated, and everyone tensed up. Showtime, Leon said, voice tight, and they all piled over to the window. They breathed a collective sigh of relief at the sight of the beat-up pickup truck skidding to a stop in the parking lot, Landry and Whitaker in the back. That's a good sign, Rogers said, his heart unclenching a bit at the sight of his girl all in one piece. He led the group outside, just as the soldiers slid from the truck bed, rubbing their aching muscles. Fuck whoever owned this truck, Landry groaned as he massaged his neck. Shocks aren't a luxury, they're a goddamn necessity. Whitaker nodded with a grimace. I've had smoother rides while dodging mortars. Hammond jumped down from the driver's seat and faced Leon, brow furrowed. Glad you made it back in one piece, Sergeant, Leon greeted. How did, what do you know about Mathis? Hammond cut in. Leon shook his head. Haven't heard anything from him, although the satellite should be coming over in a few minutes, he replied. Not sure what we'll be able to see, but can't hurt to check. The sergeant nodded, his shoulders relaxing a bit. Sorry, he said, dejected. I didn't mean to cut you off there. We've just had a hell of a day, and I'm anxious about him and the mission. Don't worry about it, Hammond. It's understandable given the circumstances, Leon assured him. Trenton raised an eyebrow. Man, this is quite the ride you found for yourselves. Yeah, we kind of had to blow up our other one, Landry replied, scratching the back of his head with a grin. Trenton shrugged. I guess this one probably stuck out like a sore thumb wherever you found it. Hammond, Leon, and Rogers suddenly shared a look of concern. Clara, can you please take this to the school garage? The detective asked. She cocked her head. Sure, but why? Whitaker caught on, nodding. Because it did stick out to us, which means it most likely stuck out to the cartel patrols, she explained. If they see it here, they might put two and two together. Which would mean we'd be fucked, Landry finished brightly. Clara nodded and hopped into the truck, firing it up. Leon put his hands in the open window. And once you get it there, head on home, he instructed. Chances are we're gonna be getting a visit from our friends, and you still need to be hidden. I'll take care of it, she replied firmly, and popped the truck into drive, heading off towards the school garage. Leon waved for the group to follow him. Come on, let's go check out that satellite. He led them into the command center, and then sat in front of his computer. After a moment, the screen came to life, showing an aerial view of the city. City Hall, he murmured to himself as he scanned the map, and then zoomed in on the proper building. Definitely a lot bigger guard presence than they normally have, he said. What do they usually have? Landry asked. Leon drummed his fingers on the desk. Two pairs of guards covering the entrance. There's gotta be at least ten times that now, the private said. Whitaker pointed at the screen. Look, they're carrying something. Leon zoomed in as much as he could, and it looked like two men carrying a body bag. I don't know if Mathis got his shot off, 
but I think it's safe to say that Reed was successful. Before they could speculate any further, the air horn went off in the distance. Everybody glanced at one another, eyes wide. Mathis isn't supposed to be coming back here, Hammond said. Roger stood up. Cartel. Trenton, I'm gonna need you to join me out there, Leon said, taking control of the room. Everybody else sit tight, and don't do anything unless they start trying to burn down the town. He looked sternly at the sergeant, who raised his hands. We'll stand down until they make the first move, Hammond promised. Leon patted him on the shoulder and led the young man outside. They stood in the parking lot as five SUVs came screaming up. The vehicles fanned out in the parking lot, covering Leon's full range of view. The lead vehicle in the center skidded to a halt, with the passenger's side door flying open before the engine even cut off. Angel Rivas dove out, screaming at the top of his lungs as he stormed over. You motherfucker, how dare you attack us? Leon shrugged and cocked his head. What are you talking about? He asked coolly. Someone attacked you? He looked over at Trenton, who also shrugged. Angel stepped up, nose to nose with Leon, and still screaming. You know damn well what I'm talking about. You better back up, Leon warned, because I have no problem smacking a little bitch. Rodriguez stepped out of another vehicle and crossed his arms. Did you ever stop to think he's telling the truth, Angel? He asked, voice calm as still water. The younger Rivas whirled on him, holding up a thick finger. Of course you'd come to his defense, he snarled. You probably helped them plan the attack. Rodriguez's eyes blazed, storming forward and staring down his nose at the little prick. You watch your tone and remember who you are speaking to. Angel backed down, turning back to Leon with a huff. So you didn't know that one of our checkpoints was blown up by a car bomb? Car bomb? Leon laughed. Does it look like either of us knows how to make a car bomb, let alone have the material to do that? Angel sneered. You're a smart man, he said, and though it should have been a compliment, it felt backhanded. I'm sure you could figure it out. Bitch, I work on computers, Leon replied, holding his palms up. The closest thing I get to getting my hands dirty is when I spill coffee on my keyboard and have to clean it up. And besides that, does it look like we have the capacity to launch an attack? There's two able-bodied people in this town, and you're looking at them. It's taken everything we have just to clear out the town of zombies. So even if we did have the know-how to build a car bomb, even if we did have the ammo, which we don't, by the way, and even if we were secretly Rambo in disguise, we're too fucking tired from everything else we've been doing. He shook his head and laughed again. Shit, man, just talking to you is making me want to go take a nap. Angel clenched his fists. That's enough, Angel. A stern voice called from the SUV, and Tiago Rivas defiantly stepped out. The left side of his face was bandaged up, his shirt covered in blood. Leon didn't react, but Trenton paled before schooling his expression as best he could. The older Rivas casually walked up, putting a hand on his son's shoulder. Angel, you still have not learned that you cannot intimidate people by yelling at them. There are some people you can't intimidate at all, so it requires a different approach. He turned to Leon. I've met you before, 
but as you can see, I have had a rough day. Would you be so kind as to refresh my memory? What is your name? My name's Leon, the other man replied and motioned to his companion. This is my lead, uh, well, only scout remaining, Trenton. Tiago nodded knowingly. Ah, yes, Leon, he said, motioning between them. I remember that now, the computer whiz with his magical eye in the sky. That's me, Leon replied. The cartel leader stepped forward, leaning in. Leon, I have a very important question for you, he said in a low voice. He pointed to his eye. Did you have a hand in doing this to me? No, I did not, Leon replied without hesitation. Tiago looked him up and down, studying him carefully. He clucked his tongue. Well, surely you can see why I would come to that conclusion. No, I really don't, the other man admitted. Sure you can, you are a bright man, Tiago said, straightening up. The entire reason I was in position to have a shot taken at me was because the man taken from this town was infected. He turned into one of those things and nearly took me out himself. So what do you have to say about that? Leon shrugged. I'd say you need better medical staff that can identify a zombie bite, he replied easily. Hell, our nurse is so old she started treating people during the Carter administration, and she can tell what a bite is, assuming she knows about it. I'd like to think with your resources, you could scrounge up someone just as qualified. Tiago took a step back, blinking at him for a moment, and then burst into laughter. If my men had half the balls you do, I would have an army that could conquer the country, he declared, spreading his arms. But you are absolutely correct, he pointed at Leon. I do need better medical people not just for what you said, but because my personal doctor died in the attack. My condolences, Leon replied, putting a hand over his heart. The cartel leader nodded in appreciation, though it was clear in his eyes that he didn't care about the doctor in the sense that he was sad to lose a comrade. Leon assumed the man didn't much care about anyone other than himself. That is appreciated, Tiago replied with false sincerity. And what else is appreciated is the beverage that you supply me with. I know it's not your normal time, but if you could part with one of those bottles, I would consider it a personal favor. Leon inclined his head to Trenton. This man's had a rough day and could use a drink, he said. Why don't you run into the office and grab the bottle on my desk? The younger man didn't reply, simply nodded and ran back to the command center. Tiago smiled. I don't know where you keep finding this stuff, but it is fantastic. Well, we are currently doing inventory of the town, Leon replied with a shrug. So let me know if you need a PlayStation or something to help you pass the time between bottles. The cartel leader waved him off with a look of disgust. I have no need for childish things like that, he said, raising his chin. Just keep supplying me with the bottles, and I'll continue letting this little town of yours exist. Consider it a deal, Leon replied. Trenton jogged back out and held out the bottle to Tiago, who took it with both hands, admiring the label. Such a treasure, he said. My only hope is that the genius that created this masterpiece is still alive somewhere. Leon shrugged. If you'd like, we can add finding him on the list, 
The cartel leader chuckled. Until next time, Leon, he said, saluting him with the top of the bottle. He let out a whistle, and his men headed back to the vehicles. Tiago paused on his way, turning around with his finger in the air as if he'd just remembered something. Oh, and since you didn't do this to me, you probably won't care that we did catch the shooter, he said. I have some associates of mine who are preparing a healthy regimen of pain and suffering for him. He studied his associate carefully. Leon kept his expression stone cold, giving nothing away. Have at it, he replied with a shrug. If your boys need any pointers, let me know. I learned some shit on one of my deployments that would make the Spanish Inquisition cringe. Tiago grinned like a wolf ready for a meal. I believe we have it under control, he said. But I appreciate the offer. He turned and got into his vehicle, prompting the caravan to take off back towards the interstate. As the dust settled, Trenton and Leon stared after the vehicles, stomachs sinking. What the fuck do we do now? Trenton asked. Leon took a deep breath. We go break the news to the others. Chapter 14 Leon and Trenton walked into the command center, defeat written all over their faces. The rest of the group turned, ashen-faced, from the window. Was that motherfucker still alive? Hammond snapped. Leon nodded scrubbing his hands down his face. Yes, Mathis was able to do some damage to him, but didn't get a direct hit. How the fuck can you shoot someone with a 50 cal round in the head and not kill him? Landry demanded. Leon shook his head, collapsing into his chair. Could be a thousand different things, man. Most likely the bullet shattered as it went through the safety glass, and he got hit with debris instead of the round. Fuck! Landry roared and kicked the desk next to him with such force that it slid away from him. Whitaker crossed her arms. Mathis isn't going to be happy to hear about this, she said. All that work just for a wound. Well, we'll let him have it tomorrow when we pick him up, Landry replied. Leon and Trenton shared a concerned look, and the private blinked at them, looking back and forth between them like a ping pong match. We are picking him up tomorrow, he said slowly. Aren't we? Leon drew his bottom lip between his teeth and took a deep breath. We're not. Is he dead? Whitaker demanded. Leon swallowed hard. Uh, I don't think so. What the fuck does that mean? Landry threw his hands up. It means that I can only go off what that asshole Tiago told me, Leon replied but they have him. Whitaker and Landry shared a glance and then began checking their weapons in unison. Leon held out his hands. Whoa, what are you doing? What's it look like? Landry snapped. We're gonna go get him. Rogers shook his head. That's a bad idea. I don't give a fuck, the private snarled and pointed at the detective. He's our man and we're gonna go get him. Rogers looked to Hammond. Eyes pleading. Stand down, Landry, the sergeant said quietly. Why? Landry roared, turning on his superior. Hammond sighed heavily. Well, for starters, they're a hardened target, and we don't have the manpower or resources to fight it. And if you get caught or killed, the next thing they'll do is burn this town to the ground and everyone in it, 
Leon added. Landry growled, clenching his fists, and turned to kick the desk again, this time sending it slamming into the wall. Whitaker slammed her gun down on the desk next to her, eyes blazing. Rogers moved over to her, putting an arm around her shoulders. We'll figure out a way to get him out, he said firmly. You have my word on that. That's right, Leon added. I will scour that city with my satellite and press Rodriguez every chance I get. Rogers nodded. When the high alert dies down, we'll be ready to go. She clenched her jaw and then nodded, lips tight. She lowered her fists and shook them out. So what do we do in the meantime? If I'm being honest, you all should probably get out of town for a while, Leon said. Hammond nodded. Chances are the cartel is going to be watching Fabens hard, and if they get a glimpse of us, it won't be good for anybody, he agreed. Where the hell are we going to go? Landry demanded, crossing his arms. We're in the middle of the fucking desert. Rogers cocked his head. There's always that group to the west of Fort Stockton, he suggested. Yeah, Clara got some inroads with them by delivering meds, Leon said, pointing at the detective. Not sure how happy they'll be to have house guests that'll dwindle their supplies, though. Hammond shook his head. Don't worry, we can carry our weight, he said. We'll make ourselves useful to them. Well, how the hell are we gonna get there? Landry asked, though the venom wasn't as apparent in his voice. If they're watching us and all. Leon swiveled around and pulled up a map of the town, focusing on the southern portion. Just follow the canal east for several miles, he explained as he pointed to the body of water. Maybe 10 or so up, you'll find a breakaway drainage ditch that'll lead up to the interstate. Hang out there and we'll have Clara pick you up when she goes out on her rounds. Landry scoffed. Great, so we get to go on a moonlit desert hike to sleep under a bridge. He started checking his weapons again. Fucking hell. Rogers turned to Whitaker. Be safe, he said, a lump in his throat. Damn straight, she replied with a little smile. I still haven't gotten you alone yet. No way I'm dying before that. She winked and picked up her gun, heading over to Landry. Leon extended his hand to Hammond. We're gonna get this son of a bitch, he said firmly. And Mathis back too. I have full confidence in you, the sergeant replied and shook. When you have a plan, we'll be ready. Come on, I got my truck out back, Trenton piped up. I'll give you a lift to the south side of town. Appreciate it, Hammond replied. The trio of soldiers headed out the door, Trenton bringing up the rear. Rogers and Leon slumped into their chairs in front of the computer, sitting silently and shell-shocked for a moment. The detective rubbed his face and then asked through his fingers, we really shit the bed on this one, didn't we? That's an understatement, Leon replied, screwing his fists into his sore eyes. Rogers ran his hands through his hair. You have any ideas on how to get Mathis? Fuck, man, I'm more concerned with how we're gonna find stuff to pacify El Guapo, Leon replied, shaking his head. Pretty sure he knows we're behind it, but he likes his booze too much to finish us off unless he's forced to. Rogers pursed his lips. We'll ramp up door-to-door -door searches tomorrow. Hopefully there were some high-end alcoholics in this town. If not, we're gonna have to go into Fort Stockton to look.
Leon replied. The detective rubbed his forehead. That's gonna be a shit show and a half. After today, it looks like we're specializing in shit shows for the foreseeable future, Leon said darkly. What are you doing? He asked, as Rogers headed for the coffee maker. The detective motioned to the machine. We still have some daylight left. Figured we should get a caffeine boost and start looking at some of these houses for goods. I mean, why are you touching Ethel's coffee maker? Leon cracked a smile. I'd be more fearful of her than El Guapo, because you know she's ripped a few hearts out in her day. Rogers barked a laugh, and it felt good after the day they'd had. You bring up a good point, he agreed, and stepped back from the machine. Come on, we've got a lot of work to do. Leon nodded and stood. They headed out of the command center, hoping that the search would keep their minds off of the horrific situation they'd found themselves in this time. End of book three. Up next, the action shifts to Miami as the lone survivor in a high-rise condo risks it all to escape from a zombie-filled nightmare. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.